The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello, welcome to a special edition of What Catholics Believe. This uh, special edition has to do with the upcoming midterm elections. There's a great deal of talk about the elections now set to take place in four days. Of course, the elections have been going on already with mail-in ballots. <clears throat> Upwards of 20 million of them have already come in by mail, and heaven only knows uh, uh, about the integrity of, of the vote already. But in any case, um, there's a great deal of speculation as to what's going to take place. Um, uh, conservatives, whatever that means, these days uh, are pinning great hopes on these elections, and in fact, uh, maybe even desperate hopes on these upcoming midterm elections set for November 8th. Um, there are two points of great importance, though, for a traditional Catholics. We, we have to ask ourselves, what do we as traditional Catholics make of these elections? What should we expect from them? And the first point, I believe, is this, that the elections of themselves will not and cannot save America. They cannot save our country. Um, so those who are hoping that this is like the great turning point and the great... Uh, a master stroke to overcome uh, left, leftists and leftism and all of the evils of um, communism, Marxism, socialism, etc., etc. Uh, they're going to be disappointed. You're going to elect uh, even even the very best candidates running do not really stand explicitly or even implicitly for the sovereign rights of our Lord Jesus Christ the King. And for traditional Catholics, that's the standard that we have to look for. We have to vote for our Lord in every election. In other words, we have to vote for His rights and uh, to see that His sovereignty is respected and uh, His kingship is, is observed and obeyed. This is what we have to hope for in whatever elections there, and every vote we make and every ballot we cast. <clears throat> but as long as we, as a people, offend God personally and as a society, we will suffer the consequences. There are, of course, natural evils that naturally follow from uh, sin sinfulness. The degenerate and debauched people are necessarily going to be suffering the consequences, natural consequences, of their degeneracy and debauchery. Uh, after all, if virtue is its own reward, then vice is its own punishment in the sense that it always brings degradation and brings suffering with it. But it's not only the natural evils that we're dealing with here due to our own vices. We're talking about also divine punishment. As our Blessed Mother said at Fatima, um, God is ready to strike the world with terrible evils, famines and Russia spreading her errors throughout the world, as in fact uh, Marxism is spreading everywhere now, it seems. The floodgates are open, 
And uh, Our Lady's prophecy at Fatima is, is being fulfilled, and much of it has already been fulfilled. But um, the, the question of divine punishment becomes very urgent when we realize that the sins that we are committing are uh, sins that are crying to heaven for vengeance. I gave a sermon recently on that very subject, <clears throat> that the, the sins that we as a society are flinging in the face of Almighty God every moment of every day are those four sins that cry to heaven for vengeance. And so we should be very much... Uh, even terrified at the thought of what we are provoking. Our Blessed Mother told Jacinta uh, of Fatima, told Jacinta as she was, she Jacinta was in the hospital in Lisbon, that uh, the arm of our Lord is raised to strike the world because of its sins, and it is very heavy. And even she, even our Blessed Mother, is having difficulty holding back the arm of our Lord from striking us. And so that's how terrible things are. Our Lady even told little Jacinta that the world is more evil today, more sinful today than it was in the time of Noah and the flood, more evil than it was in the time of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. If that's the case, we see what happened at those times, we, we know what to expect. We have our own sinful lives to answer for, our own personal sins. Our Lady said at Fatima, we have to stop sinning, and then we have to make reparation for the sins that are committed, have been committed by mankind and are continuing to be committed. Uh, then we have the sinful policies of our governments, the sinful social policies. And these policies of our society, uh, notably abortion, cry to heaven for vengeance. They really do. And uh, we have to deal with the consequences of these things, the, the murder of millions and millions and millions of babies. Uh, certainly that cannot pass uh, that cannot pass before the eyes of God in heaven without provoking some righteous anger on Almighty God's part and some terrible punishment for us who have tolerated this. Even those of us who have opposed it cannot say we've done everything we possibly could. We've not say, we cannot say that we've all done whatever we could to stop this evil. And so it grows apace. And uh, now we have an entire major political party here in the United States of America, uh, which is actually built upon abortion. It's actually built on abortion. It's making all its political hay on abortion. And no matter what else it promotes, it always comes back to the message of abortion, abortion, abortion. We are your abortion providers. We are your abortion securers. We are the ones who, who insist that you have the right to abortion given in the laws of our land. And uh, we are protecting your right to an abortion. This entire political party is arrayed around this issue. That's how evil it is. And um, so we have not only our own personal sins to answer for, but we, we actually do have that responsibility in the sins of our whole society. Is that we have a hand to play and we have a voice to raise in this regard. Now, I realize that when I talk about the upcoming midterm elections, and I say that the upcoming election, even if it turned out as well as it possibly could in terms of the candidates we have to vote for, then it still can't solve the problem. It can't solve that problem. Uh, it cannot save our country. Only our Lord Jesus Christ can save our country. Only God's grace can save our country. But other, other, even beyond that, I mean, 
we might say, well, what about the question of even the honest election? Uh, is an honest election even possible? After all, if we say that an entire political party has sold its soul uh, for abortion, and um, we realize that we're talking about a, a party of abortion here, what can we expect from abortionists? I mean, if, if you can justify the murder of one child, justify the murder of one child, let alone millions of children, what kind of character do you have to deal with? What can we expect from a person who can do that? Can we expect any good to come from someone who does that? Anybody who can justify this in, in his own mind has got to be so perverted that he simply cannot be trusted to make the right moral decisions with anything. They are capable, those who do such things, those who promote such things, those who traffic and trade in such things, those who build their political careers on such things, are capable of any evil. They are capable of anything, including stealing an election. It's nothing in comparison with the evil that they've already done and they're in the process of, of committing now. So yes, we have reason to question whether an honest election is even possible in the United States of America at this point. And so traditional Catholics can be very cynical and very defeatist about such things as the elections that come and go. Um, we also raise the question about the, the candidates themselves. I mean, I, I just said that unless a candidate stands uh, explicitly and, uh, and resolutely for the kingship of our Lord Jesus Christ and his law, his moral law, notably, that we have a candidate that really is an unworthy candidate, someone we cannot really support. And so if we look around the, the landscape, the political landscape, what do we see? Do we find any candidate who explicitly stands up for the sovereign rights of our Lord Jesus Christ the King in society, over a human society? No, I don't know of any anyway. So does that mean we can't vote for anyone? Well, that takes us to another question, and that's the second, second one. The Catholics are bound under pain of mortal sin to vote. We have a solemn obligation before God to cast a vote. And we have to cast a vote against these evils. And we have to cast a vote against those who commit these evils and those who are committed to these evils. They make no secret of their commitment to these evils. They crow about it, they boast of it, they glory in their shame. We have a solemn obligation before Almighty God to vote against these things. Now, someone might say, well, if you only have, well, let's look at this way, you have candidates. So you might have two good candidates. I've already defined a good candidate as someone who stands for the sovereign rights of our Lord Jesus Christ, the King, that our Lord's laws must be the foundation for the law of all human society. It doesn't matter, actually. We might, we might say, well, this applies only to Catholics, right? The answer is no. No, Catholics are obliged to follow the laws of God and the laws of his church. But those who are not members of the church, while they may not be obliged to follow the laws of the church, they are still obliged to follow the laws of God. They are still creatures of God, and they still have the obligation to respect the rights of the Son of God, their Savior, their Creator, their, their Redeemer, 
because whether they're in the church or outside the church here on earth, Jesus Christ is still the Son of God made man, and he's still their Redeemer, as much of their Redeemer as he is our Redeemer, even if they don't want him as their Savior. They are obliged to recognize him as their king. And so all human societies are obliged to pattern their laws after the law of Christ. And any society that does not do this is doomed to destruction. Necessarily, that society will implode, will self-destruct. We see it happening before our very eyes. So we have to represent that. We don't have two good candidates necessarily to vote for uh, in any one election. So the question is, well, what if you have a good candidate and a bad candidate? Or let's say you have uh, two bad candidates, okay? Uh, if none of them represent the rights of our Lord Jesus Christ the King, then you might say, well, then all you have left is bad candidates as far as traditional Catholics are concerned. But then the question becomes a different one altogether. And the question is, well, can I vote for either one? After all, I might appeal to the lesser of two evils and say this candidate uh, is pushing unrestricted abortion up to birth. This candidate uh, wants to impose some restrictions but still believes in the quote-unquote right to choose, okay? So um, I might say, well, I can choose between the, the two evils here and I can, I can see clearly that the policy and the program of one candidate is a lesser evil than the policy of the other candidate, insofar as the one candidate's policies will result in more deaths, the deaths of more children, more destruction, more evil. The one candidate is pursuing policies and banking on policies for votes, votes, policies that will actually do a horrendous evil much more than another candidate's policy, which might be more reserved. So it's not always uh, possible, but sometimes it is to actually see clearly which is the lesser of two evils or which candidate is, represents, I should say, a commitment to the lesser of two evils. But then people say, well, even if you have uh, two evils and can distinguish one as being a lesser of two evils, it's still an evil and you still can't choose that. You cannot choose evil. And that's true. They're absolutely right about that. But the church has taught us that in choosing the lesser of two evils, you're not choosing the evil, you're rejecting the evil that the other one is doing. You are trying to block and prevent the greater evil from taking place. You're not voting for the evil, you're voting against the greater evil, is what it comes down to. You're not choosing the lesser of two evils, you are resisting and rejecting the greater of two evils. That's what it really comes down to. So traditional Catholics do have choices to make. And um, now we have to realize that your vote is your voice. Your vote is your voice. And uh, when you vote, you're actually making a statement. <clears throat> and the statement is, we reject the, the greater of these evils, we reject this evil. And you have to raise your voice as you raise your vote. Your vote is an important opportunity for you to uh, raise your voice against a greater evil. And you must register your disapproval and your condemnation of that evil. 
Otherwise, if you do not stop this, if you do not do what you can to stop the evil, then you are complicit. And that complicitness is actually destroying our nation right now. Edwin Burke says, all that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. Another said, the, great, the deepest places in hell are reserved for those who in times of moral crisis do nothing. So again, uh, you have a vote, use it. You might say, well, my vote won't count because of the evil of the, uh, the dishonesty of the elect- electorate system. But the fact is, your vote is, is not really merely a cipher on a screen. It's not really a digit that appears <clears throat> on one side or another for blue or for red. Your vote represents an effort, an effort that you make to speak up. And the very fact that you make that effort is important. Time and time again, our priests are called to the bedsides of people who are, who are very, very ill. In some cases, we're told, well, they're not very receptive, so don't be surprised if they, if they really, if you go there and they're not really very cooperative. And time and time again, because we make the effort, we go there, the graces are given, and they are cooperative. And they, they do receive the sacraments, they may return to the church, uh, they may and make a, make a good confession, um, and uh, and so on. Just because the fact that there were those who were willing to make that effort for them on behalf of our Lord, and on behalf of that soul, and so in going to the polls and placing that vote, you're not responsible for what the, what they do to your vote, but you are responsible for being there to cast that vote. And by the very fact that you go there and you make that effort. To, um, to um, express your will in this matter, you're already drawing the graces of God down because you're actually voting for him. You're actually voting for him. That's what you're doing there. You're voting for him. So you realize that even if the election is, is um, not only tainted, but if it's downright crooked and uh, the election is stolen in the end, that doesn't take away anything from the effort that you made to try to do what you could to speak up for our Lord. And it is, after all, the effort that you make that is going to draw the graces from God that are necessary to make this turn out right. All the voting in the world isn't going to solve the problem. It's your effort to be faithful to our Lord and do everything you can to be faithful to him. And this is part of it. Uh, so I say the very fact that you make the effort is, is important. And God must bless the effort, but he can't bless the effort that isn't there. So you have a vote on earth insofar as you go to the polls and at least you register who you are and what you stand for. And um, if you're not heard on earth, you're heard in heaven. But you are also able to vote in heaven. How do you vote in heaven? You vote in heaven by your prayers. Every time you pray the rosary, every Hail Mary is like a vote in heaven. You're you're choosing our Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and your King. You are paying making an act of homage to him. Uh, You are, as it were, crowning him. That's what we call the rosary, the corona. And uh, it's the crown of roses and uh, crowning Our Lady, but you know that Our Lady in, is always uh, paying her homage to her son, who is also her Lord and her sovereign king. 
And so uh, in, uh, in praying the rosary, we are, in fact, making that worthy crown. And uh, we recognize by that very fact, uh, pondering as Our Lady did the mysteries of our Lord's life, death, and resurrection, we are honoring him as our sovereign Lord and our sovereign King, as our only Redeemer, as our only Savior. That's what we have to do. Now let me back that up a little bit here, <clears throat> because uh, we have some uh, testimonies from the church in the, uh, in the past, uh, the traditional voices of the church talking about the solemn obligation that Catholics have to, to vote, especially in society today. Uh, we have a passage from uh, St. Paul to the Philippians, too. He doesn't tell us to go vote, of course, because people couldn't vote in those days. But he does talk about those who are enemies of the cross of Christ. He talks about their end being destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. And heaven knows we have plenty of those, not only running for political office, but actually holding political office right now. This is St. Paul to the Philippians, chapter 3, verses 18 to 21. Philippians 3, 18 to 21. Read it. See if it doesn't describe political leaders today. Now, we have the voice from the past, Father Herbert Jeune. Father Jeune uh, was one of the great moral theologians back in the 1920s, a Dominican, actually, I believe. And he wrote in Moral Theology, his work Moral Theology number 205, published in Dublin by Mercier Press, 1929, and again in 1955. This is what he said. Voting is a civic duty which would seem to bind at least, at least under venial sin whenever a good candidate has an unworthy opponent. It might even be a mortal sin if one's refusal to vote would result in the election of an unworthy candidate. And so there you have a statement from the past, a traditional voice of a moral theologian talking about the moral obligation to vote, and when it could even be a mortal sin by allowing, as he says here, an unworthy candidate to be elected <coughs> and to gain power over us. In this case, we have more to fear from the candidate who actually uh, professes the greater evil. <coughs> we have to vote against that. Now also, uh, we see that there are three things in this statement of Father Joan, we see, uh, one, if all candidates are worthy, it might not be sinful if we didn't vote. We say a, a worthy candidate is one who stands for the moral law of Christ. And so if all the candidates equally stand for the right, the law of Christ, then it wouldn't be sinful not to vote, because actually any one of them would be acceptable. A second point we can learn from this, if a worthy candidate is opposed by an unworthy candidate, there would be a slight obligation to vote for the worthy candidate, and that's a venial sin not to vote unless, he says, number three, if not go voting would foreseeably result in the election of a grossly unworthy candidate who stands for a great moral evil, then it could be, would be mortally sinful not to vote to prevent all the evil, all the additional evil threatened by that worse candidate. And there's a Jesuit priest from the past, Father Henry Davis, also a moral theologian, and uh, citing his work, Moral and Pastoral Theology, uh, 
published in New York, Sheet and Ward, 1935, and again in 1959. Father Henry Davis says, It is the duty of all citizens who have the right to vote to exercise that right when the common good of the state or the good of religion and morals require their votes, and when their voting is useful, when it is actually useful and beneficial. Well, one might look at that statement by Father uh, Henry Davis and say, well, um, he says the common good. There's a lot of talk about the common good these days, and it's very muddled. Then we're talking about in the Catholic sense, the, uh, the common good, the bonum comune, means that which is actually for the benefit, not only naturally but supernatural good of society and the members of that society. We have to look out for that. We have to provide for that, what is truly for the good of human society. And uh, this inevitably involves fidelity to the moral law of, of Christ, no doubt about it. So he says that the good of religion and the good of morals require their votes. Um, and so we see that happening today. But he says also when their voting is useful. And again, someone might argue, well, the voting isn't useful because it does no good anyway because the vote is fixed. But I'm telling you, the vote is useful regardless of that because what you are doing is by going to the polls, you are making a statement, you are voicing your support of our Lord Jesus Christ the King. Whether they hear it or not, Christ hears it in heaven. Our Lord is no aware of what you're doing. You're making the effort for him insofar as you can. And uh, so, yes, you'd have to say, of course, that is going to be useful. It's going to be beneficial because you're taking a stand for our Lord. Um, now, Father Davis also says, it is sinful to vote for the enemies of religion or liberty, true liberty, except to exclude a worse candidate or unless compelled by fear of great personal harm relatively greater than the public harm at stake. Now, that takes a little bit of explanation. Probably won't even offer an explanation for that here. But the point is that by, by going to vote, you'd be putting yourself at grave personal risk. Uh, I guess he foresees going to vote in communist nations or socialist nations where thugs could attack you and beat you up or kill you. Um, so, But in any case, he, even there, though, he says... Um, it's sinful to vote for the enemies of religion or to withhold a vote unless compelled by fear of great personal harm relatively greater than the public harm at stake. So even there, he leaves it open to say if the, what is at stake is a grave harm to public life and the society in which you live, you may have to take that risk by going to vote in order to avert that evil. It even allows, he even allows for that, the grave, the gravity of the risk to the society being such that, yes, we are obliged to put ourselves at risk personally in order to secure the good and to avoid the threat to our society. But, uh, but he does say explicitly here, of course, it's sinful to vote for a bad candidate, someone who stands for evil things. But, he says, unless... You won't vote not so much for the bad candidate, but for against the worst candidate. By voting for one candidate, you are actually opposing the greater evils threatened by the other, even worse candidate. 
And uh, Father Joan also says this. He says, in an exceptional case, one may vote for some unworthy candidate if he can thereby avert some unusually great personal disadvantage. So this has to do with the disadvantage to himself, okay? But what about when he has to avert a great evil to the whole of society in which he lives? We might take Father Jones' words and say, well, if what he says here is, is, is true, then a fortiori, all the more reason why, he can vote for a lesser a candidate who is a lesser evil candidate, or a candidate, let's say, who threatens a lesser evil in order to avert a greater evil from the society which is threatened by a very, very bad candidate. And so I want to get that point across. We have an obligation to vote. We have an obligation to vote even when the candidates don't exactly mesh with our understanding of what makes a good candidate a good candidate as traditional Catholics. If they stand for the moral law, even any of the moral law, if they're absolutely against abortion, then these days we have to recognize that as one of the sins crying to heaven for vengeance right now. And we have to vote for that. We have to vote for that. If we have a candidate who is not against abortion entirely, but at least they are less rabidly abortionist and threaten less uh, the, the lives of children, if they, if they are actually not as rabidly pro-abortion as another candidate. If we think that if the other candidate being put in place of power is going to use that power to murder more children, we have to vote against that. We have to vote against the murder of those more children. And if that means we have to vote for a candidate who uh, is not right, is not good, a good candidate, we have to still vote against the greater evil. As I say, it's not voting for the lesser evil. It's rather voting against the greater evil. And that's a very important distinction to make. So in other words, we have an obligation to limit the damage that is done by opposing the greater enemies of faith, religion, and morality. So anyway, I hope this is of some interest and some help. The Baltimore Catechism also spoke to us all the way back in 1949. The new confraternity edition revised Baltimore Catechism and Mass, number three, published by Bensinger Brothers. As I say, the year was 1949. This is what we read. Uh, how does a citizen show a sincere interest in his country's welfare? Citizens should exercise the right to vote. This is a moral obligation when the common good of the state or the good of religion, especially in serious matters, can be promoted. Citizens should vote for the candidates who, in their judgment, are best qualified to discharge the duties of public office. Mere personal gain or friendship does not justify one's voting for a candidate. It would be sinful to cast a ballot for one who, in the judgment of the voters, would do grave public harm. This is a statement by Reverend Francis J. Connell, a redemptorist priest. And so if it is sinful to cast a vote for a candidate who would 
in your estimation, cause grave public harm. When you have a case of two candidates and one is clearly promoting greater damage, greater evil, greater harm, there's an obligation to oppose that candidate and to make sure as far as you possibly can that that candidate does not take office. The ultimate solution to all of this with people, of course, is that we turn from sin, we are faithful to God, we make reparation to Almighty God for the sins of mankind, and that we find good men, that is those who really do believe in the kingship of Christ, to stand up and make their voices heard, to become candidates, to get the microphone, to speak the words of the gospel, to stand up manfully, courageously, as true Catholics for the uh, rights of our Lord Jesus Christ the King and not flinch in any way. Yes, there will be a, a storm of outrage against him or her, but you know, that's all right. This has happened to all of those throughout the centuries who have stood up in times of crisis and spoken the words of faith, hope, and charity to a, a very sinful world. And this is what the times demand right now. We have to have courageous souls who are willing to stand up and declare themselves candidates, uh, avail themselves of certain, well, actually, there are some, some rights that are accorded to them that they cannot be shut out and silenced. We'll see how, uh, how well those, those rights are respected, even in our civil law. But um, there's an obligation now to stand up, even if there's a certain personal risk and inconvenience involved. We have to stand up for our Lord. We have to stand up and speak, as they say, truth to power. In this case, the truth is the very truth for which our Lord was born and came into the world, to bear witness to the truth of the very faith that he taught us and sent his apostles out to preach throughout the world to all the nations. God forbid that our Lord should send them to preach the gospel to all the nations of the world. And in our day, those of us who still hold that faith very dear cannot manage to find our voice and speak out for him, especially in light of the corruption of faith going right into the Vatican in the new order of things and uh, actually pervasive throughout the hierarchy of the Novus Ordo, the new order, uh, now holding, holding sway in the Vatican. So I ask you, please, exercise your duty, exercise your voice. Vote, vote your conscience as to, far, uh, to, to avert as much evil as you possibly can. No, the election is not going to turn the tide, but it can be a, a step in the right direction. And right now, every single step taken in the right direction is very, very important because it is sending uh, the message not only to people on earth, but to heaven, that yes, we are willing to take that step in the right direction toward our Lord and to try to move our society toward the thing, the kingdom, and to find its place before the throne of Almighty God in heaven in recognizing the kingship of his divine Son here on earth. So may God bless you all, and uh, please pray, pray carefully, uh, continually for our country. Pray concerning this election. At Immaculate Conception Church, we've had this novena going on uh, since October 30th, we had the Feast of Christ the King, the Kingship of Christ this year. 
We've been praying that novena every single day with our students and our parishioners who are there for Mass. And I ask you to join your prayers to ours, and we all join our prayers to the angels and saints in heaven asking for God's mercy for our beloved country and its poor errant souls, that they will find their way, well, to our Lord. May God bless you all.